you guys have your Bibles this morning, if you'll open them to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue to walk through the Sermon on the Mount together in Matthew chapter 5. Over the last several weeks, we've looked at Jesus' series of teachings in Matthew chapter 5 as we've recognized there are six antithetical teachings that Jesus has, one right after the other, uh, that he is helping us to see one major idea and one major point, and that is that he is calling us as followers of Christ to an inner righteousness. We saw this as he talked about how anger in our heart is just as bad as anger displayed in our lives and how lust in our heart was just as bad as committing adultery. Last week, where we, he continued to teach us this idea of how what is in our heart is just as important as what is seen in our outward lives as we talked about the promises that we make to people and being certain that we see those promises all the way through. Today, we're going to look at these last two statements. It begins in verse 38 of Matthew 5, and it goes to verse 48. These last two statements kind of, uh, kind of help us to see both ideas that Jesus has presented to us, both the necessity of living a life outward for Christ, but also the necessity of living a life with inward righteousness. Today, these passages of Scripture, we're, we're familiar with them. As I read them, you're going to be able to recall probably most of Jesus' teachings here. It's where Jesus tells us the way we ought to treat others who hurt us, and it's where Jesus tells us we ought to love those who hate us. These are difficult passages of Scripture. These are hard things for us to do as followers of Christ but nonetheless, they're the expectation that Jesus has for us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on evil and on the good and sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. God, would you be with us as we walk through this passage of Scripture this morning? God, remind us, Lord, of your goodness, of your grace unto us, of your love unto us, God, and help us, Lord, to be encouraged to that same end, to show grace and to show love. As, as, as Christians, God, help us to follow the example that we have been given by Jesus. Lord, we... We recognize, God, that all of these sayings that we have dealt with over the last several weeks, God, they are hard for us. They are hard for me and they are hard for my brothers and sisters in this room. And so, God, we need you, Lord, to help us. God, we need your spirit, Lord, to be with us, to encourage us, to convict us and correct us, Lord, in the way that we should go according to your word. And so, God, 
Help us, Lord, in these times. Help us as we desire to live as Christians in an unchristian world. Pave the way for us, God. We pray and ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. These two sections, I want you to see one truth from each of the two sections and then close out with a look at the final verse there, verse 48. From this first passage of Scripture that I read that says probably above your passage of God's Word, says retaliation, I want you to see what Jesus is teaching us here is that we as believers, as Christians in an unchristian world, we are to give grace over getting even. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, I know what you've heard, and I know that what you've heard is is that you ought to do to others as they have done unto you. I know what you've heard. I know that the law says that if they take your eye, that you ought to take their eye. If, you, if they take your tooth, that you ought to take their tooth. You hear that. And we, we hear this passage of Scripture misused often. As a matter of fact, there are New Testament believers that want to rest in the retribution of this Old Testament law. We want to be able to get even. We want to be able to retaliate. We want to be able to give retribution for the punishment that has been done unto us. And we do that because that's our sin nature. Our sin nature desires to take an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If you'll follow back with me all the way back to the book of Genesis. Again, we've looked at Genesis a lot as we've looked at these instructions in Jesus' sermon. But particularly, you'll consider Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve were obedient to God. When God told them to be fruitful and multiply, they were. And they, they had sons. You remember the sons Cain and Abel. And you'll also remember that there became, became a disagreement between those sons of, of Adam and Eve. Cain and Abel had a, a break within their relationship with each other. And you know that ultimately what will happen is, is as a result of hurt and as a result of disappointment, there was murder. A, a son of Adam and Eve committed murder against another son of Adam and Eve because he wanted retaliation for that which God had spoken about the lack of appropriateness of his gift unto God. We see inside the very beginning of God's created order that this desire to harm, to hurt, to get even is a part of the seed that passed from their father through Cain and Abel and even unto us this day. Something inside of our sin nature tells us that it is appropriate to retaliate in like form that it is appropriate to receive retribution in like form. As a matter of fact, I would go so far to say most of us, we're probably not even satisfied with the eye for the eye, but when an eye is taken, we want an eye and a tooth. We want to take it even further than Scripture allows for us to take. This was the very reason, this was the very reason why the law was given in the first place. As those disciples sat there on that mountain, they understood that, that this law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, was given because men were giving more punishment than was necessary. Listen, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was given not for the oppressed, but for the oppressor. The eye for the eye, the tooth for the tooth, it was not given for the one that had been harmed, but it was protecting the one that had done the harm. This was the beginning of the criminal justice system. Men were not allowed to do with it which they wanted to that one that had hurt them. If someone take, had taken an eye of a man in the Old Testament days, they may have desired to take his life. 
Or they may have wanted to take again an eye and a tooth. And so an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was given to protect the one that had done the harming. And Jesus is saying, you have heard that it was said that the appropriate retribution or the appropriate retaliation is eye for eye and tooth for tooth and nothing more than that, just simply one eye for another eye. But Jesus does what he has always done. But I'm telling you, Jesus says... You've heard that it was said, but I say to you in verse 39, don't resist the one that is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone sues you for your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go two miles with him. You see, Jesus is saying here, not an eye for an eye, not an eye for an eye and a tooth, But Jesus says, give grace. And this is something Jesus is telling us, that our responsibility to that one that has hurt us, this is hard, but that responsibility to that one that has hurt us is grace and not getting even. He said we need to recognize what Jesus has done time and time again from when he talked to us about anger to lust to divorce to oaths to even now what Jesus is saying that we need to practice grace and he requires even more of us not only does he not desire for us to not seek retaliation but he asks us that we not respond at all when we are offended to be clear I want to make sure you understand Jesus is not asking us to put ourselves in a physical danger over and over again but he is calling us he is calling us when that one insults us not to trade insults when that one harms us not to retaliate with others if, if, even if it means just a simple additional insult Jesus is calling his disciples here to give grace and not get even. Jesus is commanding here that he requires for those disciples on that hillside to act more generously than the law demanded of them. Those who follow Jesus. You see, we aren't to be seen as people of retaliation. We're supposed to be seen as people of reconciliation. And this call for seeking reconciliation, it means at times that we will experience more ridicule and more difficulty and even more persecution. But Jesus says, pray for those that are persecuting you. Our call, nonetheless, is to grace for others who have hurt us, not to get even. And if we're going to live as Christians in an unchristian world, if we're going to be identified as little Jesus imitators, as little Christ, it should be an obvious statement then that we seek to distribute grace as Jesus did and not get even. If we're going to live as Christians in an unchristian world, we're going to look differently than the world. So we're not going to seek retribution or retaliation. We're going to seek reconciliation. That stands in opposition to everything our nature and the world expects of us. This concept of of showing grace over getting even, Jesus further expounds on it on this next little section of Scripture, 43 through 48. Basically, Jesus says, beginning in verse 43, you've heard that it was said... Love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say unto you, love your enemies. 
and pray for those who persecute you. See, Jesus is not only saying that we should give grace over getting even, but also that our lives should see and give love over hate. Jesus offers for them what is the social norm. You heard it. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was the social expectation of Jesus' day. But not only of Jesus' day, that's the social expectation even of our day. Love those who love you and hate those who hate you. But Jesus, as he has done over and over again, he does it here also. He's setting a new standard that's a standard that's not only outward in our display, like not taking an eye for an eye, but now it becomes, begins to look inside of our own hearts. You see, it's obvious to men and it's obvious to others whether or not you are a distributor of grace or are you concerned with getting even. We know that about you already. You may not know that, but we know by the way you behave, by the words that you use, by the things that you do, whether or not you're a grace-filled man or a get-even man. We know those things already about you, but love is different because we can have hate in our heart and make our face look like we love. You see, you can have hate in your heart and people not know it. You can have hate for me and you can have hate for other people in the sanctuary. You can have hate for people in this world and hide it within your heart and not let other people see it. So Jesus is saying, not only let your feet resemble my walk, but let your heart resemble my walk. You see, this call of love and hate, it's a matter of, it's a matter of the heart for man. It's a matter of our heart. It's like lust. Jesus said, you may say that you've never committed adultery, right? And he says, but if you have lust in your heart, you've already offended me. The same is true for love and hate. Jesus says, your outward presence may look as if you love, but if you have hate in your heart, you have already offended God. A hate-filled heart is an offense to God. Now, hate-filled heart is not a marker of a Christian. It's not a marker of a little Jesus imitator. So Jesus calls us to love, not hate. I love what one commentator said. He said, the, the true test of genuine Christianity is how believers treat those whom they are naturally inclined to hate, who mistreat, or who persecute them. Let, let that sit inside your heart for a moment. The true chest, test of genuine Christianity is how believers treat those who they are naturally inclined to hate or who mistreat or persecute them. And what if I were to take it just a little bit further and I were to say the, the true test of a genuine Christianity is how believers think about those whom they are naturally inclined to hate, who mistreat or persecute them. You see, Jesus is just as concerned with the hate that may be in our heart as he is the way that we live our lives. And I know if you're like me, you've read all of these passages of Scripture, not only here on retaliation, but on making promises, on our marriages and divorce, on lust and adultery and anger and, and murder. We, we look at these expectations of Jesus and we say, Jesus, these are big expectations for us. You, you're giving us big expectations. And, and so we come to this question and say, how in the world could you expect me 
to love those who hate me. And how can you expect me not to desire to get even, but to give grace? And I think by the example of God himself, we see that if, if we're going to be little Jesus imitators, that, that we're going to love people like God loves them. I mean, I know this is kind of cliche and so much so that it's lost the depth and the beauty of its meaning, but you understand that, that God loves us. And not only does God love you, and not only does God love me, listen, God loves your enemy. God loves the one that's hurt you. God loves the one that it's offended you. God loves the one that offends him. God's very nature and makeup is love, John tells us. And it is that love that motivates us and motivates, excuse me, God to place Jesus on the cross in the first place. Our very salvation is a motivation of love. And see, Jesus is not expecting anything from us that he himself is not. He is love, and so he expects us to be the very same thing, even to those who offend us and even to those who hate us. But not only do we see it as part of God's character, but we need to be reminded that Jesus has modeled this for us. Jesus models us loving those that have offended us and loving those who hate us. I want to take you back to to that hillside, because remember, this is called the Sermon on the Mount because... Jesus is teaching it from a mount. He's teaching it from a mountain. And Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1 tells us who his audience is. Matthew 5, 1 tells us that Jesus' disciples had gathered around there to listen to him teach these little sermons. And I want you to think about that as Jesus is standing up possibly and his disciples are below him maybe listening so that they can hear the words that he said. I want to remind you who was in that audience. Because as Jesus is standing there and telling them, give grace, don't get even. Love people, even those that hate you. As Jesus is teaching those things to his disciple, Peter is sitting there. And he may have even looked Peter in the eye whenever he said these type things. And, and Jesus is saying, don't, don't try to get even. Give grace. In full knowledge that only a few chapters over, Peter's going to be standing around a campfire and there are going to be guys that are gathered around him. They're going to say, you're one of those, you're one of those Galileans. You're one of those Jesus followers. And Peter's going to say, I don't know that man. I don't know who you're talking about. And Jesus is saying, don't try to retaliate. Just give grace. Or even worse than that, Another one of those disciples that's gathered on that hillside that day was Judas. The very one who had sailed Jesus for silver to the Roman officials. The very one who would give the kiss of death to our Savior. Judas is sitting there on that hillside and Jesus is looking maybe Judas in the eyes and saying don't get even but give grace and he says love those even love those who are your enemies you see these are big calls that Jesus has given us grace and love but Jesus has never walked anywhere Jesus has never done anything that he doesn't also expect us to do.
He gives grace. And He gives love. And so He demands it also of His disciples that are gathered there that day. On the crown of that hill, He is telling them, Give grace and give love even to you who will deny me and who will betray me. Give grace and give love even unto you. See, Jesus models this idea for us. He models for us the very thing that he desires for us to do. There are six statements that Jesus made. We call them little sermons. A statement on anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and love. All of these statements, as we've read them each and every week and gone over them, We've always tied them back to verse 20. Look at verse 20. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We always tied them back to that verse. And this morning, Jesus concludes them with verse 48. Therefore, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect as if this expectation of these relationships to give grace and not get even to give love over hate at least if that's not enough Jesus is now going to say the standard by which I call you to is perfection or we could go back to verse 20 and hear Jesus say, what I'm calling you to is a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. It is a righteousness that is greater than even the men who desire to be completely obedient to the law. Jesus says, therefore you, you be perfect like your father is perfect. See, it wasn't enough for Jesus for these disciples to just be obedient to a set of rules. It wasn't enough for Jesus for them just to walk in a way that they should walk. Jesus wanted their hearts to be righteous. He wanted their hearts, he wanted their lives to be inside out, their hearts to motivate the outward workings of their lives. And so he says, your righteousness should exceed because it's not only your feet, but it's your heart. And now he says, the call ultimately for you is perfection. Be perfect as your Father is perfect. This idea of perfect that's offered to us here in verse 48, it's a, it's a picture of wholeness. It's, it's a picture of nothing missing. It's almost like Jesus is saying, have nothing missing from your walk. Let your steps, let your steps be righteous. Let your heart, let your heart be righteous. The disciples, the Pharisees and the scribes, excuse me, were not whole. They were missing part of the point. And Jesus is saying, let yourselves be perfect. Have righteousness both inside and outside. Let your walk be an overflow from your heart. Be perfect as God is perfect. Jesus gives us some tough statements this morning. 
on how we interact with other people, but also on our pursuit of holiness. A couple of ways you can apply this today. First of all, we should desire to pursue perfection and our love towards other people. All of us share this in common this morning. We've all been hurt by someone, all of us. We've all been offended by somebody, all of us. All of us have those enemies who hate us. Yep, all of us, even the preacher. All of us have those people who are antagonistic towards us. All of us have those people in our lives at some point or another. And what Jesus is saying is, pursue perfection. Let your, let your feet step with your heart as you deal with them. We may need to list those people out, who they are, who we know of right off the top of our heads, or those people that maybe we've hated and we shouldn't hate, or those people that we have sought retaliation and we shouldn't seek retaliation but grace. We need to write those people out and to pursue perfection in our relationship with those and towards other people. And secondly, I think we have to always point to this fact. Ultimately, our righteousness and our perfection is a work of God Himself in our lives. It begins with a confession of our sin and our faithfulness in Him. And it continues with our growing and our maturity and our walk with Him. It begins with a justification moment where we are made right in the eyes of God. And it continues in a sanctification journey where God continues to work and make us more like Him. We should pursue perfection in our relationships with others, but we should also be pursuing perfection in our relationship with God. Whether that be the first confession of faith or your continued journey of sanctification, what do we need to do in our own personal lives to become more perfect as a people? God, these six statements that we've had over the last four or five weeks, <clears throat> they are hard for us, God. They are hard for us, Lord, because our sin nature desires us to do the opposite of what you desire. So, God, where you call us, Lord, to give grace, my heart wants to get even. Where you call us, God, to love, we want to hate our enemies. These are hard, Lord. But, God, I believe that on our sanctification process, on our becoming more perfect, a more perfect people, God, you will help us, Lord, in our journey to love and to give grace. God, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And Lord, it's going to be a, sing of wor a song of worship unto you, a singing of worship unto you. And God, we're going to claim, Lord, that we're going to lay our hearts out on the altar, the place where your arms are spread wide. God, no matter if our relationships are broken or no matter if our relationship with you are bro is broken, today, Lord, we can come before you and lay our relationship before you, God, and You'll welcome us, Lord, with your arms wide open, calling us back home. So, Lord, be with us as we worship. Be with us as we sing. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.